0: You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Hope City Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at hopecitypdx.com or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode.
1: Hello, Hope City Church. Happy New Year. If we've not met yet, my name is Chris Yarko and I serve in leadership for our church family. My husband, Gary, and I have been part of the Westland campus of Willamette Christian Church for almost 25 years, and I've had the pleasure of serving on staff for 17 of those years. Gary is a native Oregonian and grew up in Southeast Portland, and so every time we're at Hope City Church, it feels like coming home. And Some of that's because of location, but most of that's because of what an awesome church family you are. Before we hear a message this morning from Grant Hickman, I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for just being a wonderful church. And and I get the pleasure and the privilege of reminding you of some of the highlights and standout moments that have really defined us as a church family in 2023. 27 people have publicly profess their faith in Jesus through baptism at Hope City this year. Your student ministry has nearly doubled in size and students are bringing their friends and their neighbors and that place is thriving. Jake is um, looking at adding even more classrooms and classrooms this year have been opened up in kids ministry just to keep up with the growing number of young families bringing their kids here. Your volunteer teams are like no other. Hope City is defined by the way you all volunteer. You demonstrate your faith in God, that He uses each of you individually so that we make a difference corporately. Giving to the ministry of Hope City has increased over the last 12 months, which demonstrates that you have faith in God to be your provider and that money is something to be leveraged for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you so much. You have been praying for unity within our church and unity with other churches on a regular basis. I love the prayer wall and the neighborhoods that you've all signed up for and the fact that you're actively walking those neighborhoods. I love how 87 individuals have come through Discover this year for the purpose of learning more about Hope City. And 59 new families have visited Hope City and we're looking at Don't be surprised, but looking at adding a third morning service come this spring to support the growth that's happening. It's a beautiful picture of what God's doing through each of you. So on behalf of all of the elders, our executive team, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for generously giving. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for being a church that Jesus loves and that through you, you are showing the love of Christ to this community. Thank you for embracing and welcoming in your brothers and sisters from Beaverton Christian Church, Willamette Christian Church, and now as we welcome in New Hope Church. Together, your elders, your exec team, us as a church family, we are praying for the Lord to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine in the new year, both for our church and for each of you and your families. Happy New Year.
0: Well, happy Sunday, Hope City Church. As you just heard from Chris, there have been some amazing things that have happened and that God has done in and through our church over the past year. And I am excited about what God is going to do in 2024, both in your life and in our church. You know, today marks the last day of 2023. And as we move into the new year, this is a natural place to do two things pause and reflect on what has been, and anticipate. What is to come? As you think back over the past year, how's it been? Now, if you're like most people, there's been some great moments and some not so great moments. Maybe this was a year of the fantastic, or was it a year of fear? Maybe it was a year of excitement or the year of ennui. Maybe it's a year that met your expectations, or it was a year that moved you into apathy. My bet is that it was a little bit of all of that. And yet here we are on the cusp of a new year, getting ready to ring in new possibilities. And so we do some amazing things, right? We throw parties, we make resolutions, and we give toast to what has been and what we think will be. But I say, why wait for tonight? Let's begin right now. In fact, to get us going, I thought maybe I could start by just giving us a little toast. So bear with me just a moment while I got to grab some things. You know, I just figured as we uh, came into the new year, we we could go ahead and and have a toast. Now, I figured it was just me here today, so I brought just the baby bottle. But, you know, the new year is so fun of exciting things. Let's see if I can do this. Here we go. All right, here we go. You know what? We're going to just pour this here. I'm going to make a toast to us. Yeah. It was a little messier than I anticipated it being. Now, let's see. You know what? It's been a great year. And so here is to a new year. Wait a minute. Before I make the toast, let me ask you a question. I know that you're watching this on video right now, but I want you to be brave and to answer the question. I'm about to ask it out loud. So get ready. Look at the person next to you and answer this question. As you look at this glass, how full is it? Is it half full or half empty? I know. Be brave. On the count of three, answer the question out loud. Ready? One, two, three. You see, here's what we've just learned about you. Some of you see the glass as half empty and others as half full. Now there's all sorts of psychological tests out there and debates based on those assumptions and what it means about you and what it says about you. Whether you see it half empty, you're a pessimist or half full, an optimist. But what does that mean? Well, a quick inquiry of chat GPT, because it is almost 2024 after all, contrast those two mindsets in this way, and that we have the pessimists and the optimist. You see, one is a negative outlook. Pessimists tend to focus on the negative aspects of situations and expect the worst outcomes versus a positive outlook, right? Where you have this attitude that you believe that things are gonna work out in the end, just hold on a little bit longer. Then there's skepticism versus resilience, skeptics approach new experiences and challenges assuming that things will go wrong. Those with resilience, will they approach the new challenges with confidence and they have a faith in their ability to overcome the setbacks, or maybe it's a fear of failure. Pessimists may be hesitant to take risks due to their fear of failure or disappointment versus more of a growth mindset where optimists view failure as, hey, it's an opportunity to learn and it's a chance to grow. Then there's what you put an emphasis on, right? Are you problems focused or solutions focused? Maybe you tend to dwell on problems and difficulties, often seeing them as insurmountable obstacles, or it's, you know, I'm going to find a solution to this. This is a problem to solve. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to fix it. And then there's the last one where it's a perspective. One is limited hope. You see, pessimists may struggle to find hope or see potential for positive change while optimists see hope and possibility, maintaining hope and seeing potential for positive change, even in difficult situations. Now, depending on where you find yourself and see yourself as one side or the other is probably a good thing or a bad thing. And you usually view the side that's healthier as the outlook that you have on life. Now, I'm not gonna get into that that debate today, right? I'm gonna leave that for something that you can argue about on your way home. What I find interesting is the very last line, right? This limited hope versus hope and possibility. hope is a word that we often use, but more than that, it's a word that we feel. It's a word that we feel a lot this time of year. We've just come off of Christmas and a season of Advent and focusing on the coming of Jesus, our savior. And now we turn and look at the new year. We are on the edge, the verge of expectations of what this new year will be like. It is this year that, is it gonna be this year that, that I get the job that I wanted? Is it this year that we're going to get pregnant? Is it this year that I'm going to finish my degree? Is it this year that I'll get financially stable, that I'm going to get my health under control, that I'm not going to have as much to deal with and maybe less pain and grief and exhaustion? Oh, wait, we're going to 2024, right? It's a political season. So never mind. God, would you just help this to be the year where we don't fight so much? But what if I told you that optimism and pessimism are neither biblical perspectives, Neither of them encompass hope. You see, if generally speaking, pessimists say things are going to get worse and optimists say things are going to get better. Hope says whether things get better or worse, I can still have hope. Neither pessimism or optimism are things that you'll find in the Bible. Hope is never defined as having a mindset of things getting worse or better in the future. You see, that would just be based on odds and probabilities in our experiences. Hope says, I have a faith and an assurance in God that is outside of my experiences. And what you hope for shapes what you live for and what you do. You know, growing up in my household, a lot of times in the holiday season, we would put puzzles together. Now I've got small kids right now. And so we don't do a whole lot of puzzles. In fact, we don't do puzzles that are more than like 50 pieces. And why don't I do them right now? Well, because I'm a smart parent. You see, if I do a puzzle in my house with three to five year olds, I have no hope of completing it. Oh, I can see the box. I know what things are supposed to look like. I can complete the border. I can categorize the pieces by the color and the shape and get to work. But since I can't complete the puzzle in one sitting, I'm left playing the odds. And the odds are that by the time I get to the end of it, we will have all of the pieces except for that one that has somehow made it into the land of mismatched socks to never be found again. Those odds of finishing the puzzle are low. Optimism says do it anyway. And if not, it's okay. At least we had fun along the way. Pessimism says, don't even try because you're just going to get frustrated when it doesn't come out the way you wanted. As followers of Jesus, we are to have a different mindset, one based on who God is, what he has done and what we know to be already true in the future. Few places speak to this in scripture and in as much contrast as the book of Isaiah does. In the book of Isaiah, you have the author Isaiah writing a dream that he has for God's people. And I believe that it's a dream that not only he has, but it's one that God through the Holy spirit has given him. So it's for God from God for God's people, both then and now the book of Isaiah is written in two parts, but the first part is writing to Judah to warn them of what is coming their way. You see, for them, the kingdom of Israel has been divided into two nations, Judah and Israel. And currently Israel is being destroyed by the Assyrians. Now, when I say destroyed, I mean, absolute brutality. I won't get into it today, but read up some time on the Assyrian empire and what they did to their enemies. They were ruthless. In fact, they make most of our modern wars, dictators and terrorists look tame compared to what they were doing to Israel. And it's in the midst of all of that happening that Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter nine. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali pay attention to these names and these places. They'll be important later. They'll be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when the gal in, in Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies among the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea will be filled with glory. He goes on in verse two to say, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Now this verse right here, verse two is often a verse that we use today when speaking of people that have not yet had an encounter with the beautiful life-giving relationship that they can have with Jesus. But here in Isaiah, the people in darkness are Israel because the Assyrians are attacking they're the people in darkness. God is saying, I know things look really bad right now. I know what the Assyrians are doing, but God is writing to them, reminding them that their hope is not based upon things getting better or even things getting worse. And he's saying they might get worse, but hope is based not on present experience, on the ebb of flow of things, but on who God is. See, what you hope for shapes what you live for. This is the biblical idea of hope. A blessed assurance that someday, maybe not even in my lifetime, God is going to make all things right. For Israel, hope does not look like what we call hope. Hope for them is a longing that things will get better, trusting that they will be better, trusting God that even if they don't for us now, they will someday. I can resonate with that. I mean, do you ever get tired and weary of things? I know I do. Right now, I'm in relationship with people whose marriages are hurting, whose kids are rebelling. Right now, I'm in relationship with people who have uncertain health diagnosis and have no jobs or jobs jobs up in the air. Right now, I'm in relationship with people who do not yet know Jesus and I desperately want them to know who he is. And that's just me talking about my extended family. That doesn't even start to consider so many of you that I have walked with and pastored with over these years and things that we have walked through together, cried through together, prayed through together. You see, life is hard. And I wish I could tell you that all things are going to get better in this next year, that it's all going to work out how I want it to, how you want it to, in the way that we want it to. But I can't. Life does not and never has worked that way. It's why we need something more than optimism that says it's all going to work out and pessimism that says, you know what? It's all worthless anyway. Let's just do whatever we want. No, we need hope. And that hope comes in verse six. And it's actually what we just celebrated. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. These verses are describing the first advent, the one we just celebrated. That in the midst of Israel and eventually Judah's pain and suffering, a child would be born. That child would make things right. That hope, that salvation, and that flourishing would come through a child. And note what it says. Governments will rest on him. He will be an extraordinary strategist an everlasting good father, the Prince of peace, a peace that will rule and end with justice and fairness for all eternity. That is a hope in Jesus. And yet again, timing is such an intriguing thing here because the fulfillment of this advent, this prediction didn't come true for Israel and Judah for 700 years. That's why hope is not based on present circumstances getting better or worse, but on a God we can trust. You and I know this. We know that this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus because the New Testament points to this. In Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, there is a moment in the fourth chapter. Now this moment directly follows Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, That temptation where the spirit led him there and Jesus was offered all of the things that the book of Isaiah said the child could accomplish. Jesus is given the opportunity to have the kingdom without the cross, which is no kingdom at all. And so Jesus, after saying no to those temptations in Matthew, this happens in Matthew four, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth. Then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the sea of Galilee in the region. There's the names again of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali beside the sea beyond the Jordan river in the Galilee where so many Gentiles live the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. You see, it finally happened. The first Advent anticipation that the people had been waiting on since the opening pages of Genesis was now fulfilled in Jesus. All of history pointing to him to this moment and now even now is still pointing to him. You see the hope of Jesus has come and we still long for its work to finish. But no government, no job, no circumstantial change, no resolution, no expectation of 2024 can fulfill all of those things except Jesus. So now we move into 2024 and we're in what's called the second advent. Jesus has been born. He lived, he died on the cross and he has risen and we hope and we wait for his return again. It's a return that will make once and for all, all things right. Maybe it'll happen in our lifetime. Maybe it won't, but it will happen. It is why Jesus is good news or what is called the gospel. It's the kind of hope that our faith is built upon. In fact, this is why Romans talks about it in this way in chapter one, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes to the first Jew first and also to the Greek. That's another way to say Gentiles for the region. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. It's this phrase right here from faith to faith that encompasses hope for us. You see, faith is grounded in the reality of what God has done in the past, giving us faith and a hope grounded then in the reality of the future. It's this hope that I want us to take into the new year. Hope as a virtue, not just as an attitude or mindset. That regardless of how 2023 has been or what the ups and downs of 2024 will be, that because we have faith in what Jesus has done, the first advent, we have a hope of certainty today. It is what we still wait with anticipation for. It's what we have hope in and what we have hope for shapes what we live live for. And so church, it's with that idea of bringing the new year into focus that I want to make a toast. A toast to God, the father, working all things for the good of those who love him to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has started a work in us that he will complete. And here's to the Holy spirit who leads us into trials and into successes that are designed that we may always have hope and hope only in him. Happy new year.